Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. seventh chapter of Acts. If you haven't been with us for the last several weeks or you've been dozing, uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts, which is an account of the early history of the church. We were looking at uh, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, first off in giving uh, courage to Peter to proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified, uh, giving uh, the power to heal so the man born lame went walking and leaping and praising God, um, courage in front of the ruling council as they were called to task for having shared Christ. Uh, uh, we saw that the Holy Spirit uh, sort of impressed upon people the need for living truthful lives with Ananias and Sapphira. Last week, as the Holy Spirit was key uh, to giving Christians the power to serve and to use their lives in ministry to others and those kinds of things. So now we come to the book of Acts, and here, here's what has, uh, the seventh chapter, and what has happened is that uh, Stephen, who was one of the deacons, has gone out and he started preaching Christ and a group of Jews in one of the synagogues are opposing him. They can't win the argument on its merits, and so what they've decided to do is to haul Stephen in front of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin, and there he's going to be examined. He has to defend himself. He does so. We'll see that in a moment. And uh, as he comes to the conclusion of it, uh, the Sanhedrin says, well, we've had enough of this, and they haul him outside the city, and they stone him in a very archaic uh, very bar- uh, barbaric uh, sort of way to kill people. And as he's dying, uh, Stephen points out that he can see the glory of God. And he sees that glory with Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Uh, this sort of makes uh, the audience uh, a little bit more irritated. Uh, they keep stoning him. And finally says, Lord Jesus, you know, receive my spirit. And the last thing he says is, you know, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Now, folks, I want you to know, I've known for a very long time that there is a gap, big gulf, between where I am and where Jesus is, okay? This comes as no surprise to anybody. You may be in the same boat. There's like a humongous distance between where I am in my um, uh, walk, my spirituality, my, my uh, uh, desire for sanctification with the way the, um, uh, the truth of the gospel works out in my life. You know, all those things, there's a tremendous gap between me and Jesus. And so we're all cool with that. Um, that that's fine. Uh, we, we acknowledge that. But here's the thing. There's a gap, a wide gap between me and Stephen. Now, I'll grant you there's a gap between Stephen and Jesus, but there's a gap between me and Stephen because if I'm in that situation and I've been trying to share the gospel and defend Christ and defend the truth of God's word and people start throwing rocks at me, you know, my first inclination is not to pray for them that they would be forgiven. It goes something like this. You better not. God's going to get you for that. You know? 
You better not throw, oh, that hurt. Don't ever do that. That, my, my inclination is not towards forgiveness. It's towards justice and righteousness because that would make me the winner in these kinds of things. And so there's a big gap there. And I don't know if I get to that point where I can pray the way Stephen prayed. Lord, forgive these folks. You know, even though I know that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what Jesus did. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, that kind of thing. But, but Stephen is like way ahead of me on this, and I don't get it. Because forgiveness doesn't flow that easily in my life. You know, it's, it, I find it hard to forgive. Not, not the little things. The little things I can forgive. You know, the guy who cuts you off in traffic, right? By the time I get to the end of my commute, I'm, I'm okay with that. I've forgiven it. Well, I told you I was, you know, okay. But, uh, you know, and, and the neighbor next door who's got the tree that hangs over my fence and all the leaves on that tree wind up in my yard. I forgive that. Every year I forgive that. But the person who hurt me, the person who wounded me, the person who not only hurt me and wounded me, but doesn't care that they hurt and wounded me, has never apologized, will never apologize, in fact, will never acknowledge that they wounded and hurt, hurt me, that person, I find it hard to forgive. I don't know if you're in, that, in that, that situation yourself. I don't know. I suspect some of you are, one or two. The rest of you, this, this is a freebie. But, but for the rest of you, for, for anybody here who's, who's had trouble forgiving people, particularly when they don't say they're sorry and when they don't acknowledge they've done something wrong, you know, how do we forgive that kind of person? Stephen found a way to do it. I'm not sure I can. Not on my own. Not like that. Some people have suffered tremendously. You know, in families, you have, you have what are called little people and big people. Let me just give you this model for family. Families have little people and big people. You figure out who's who. But the idea is that the big people take care of the little people. The big people look out for the little people. The big people protect and defend the little people. And so when the big person hurts the little person, abuses the little person, holds the little person up to ridicule or works in such a way that that little person feels as though their very uh, nature and being is being assaulted by the person who ought to be protecting them. That's called a dysfunctional, poisonous, toxic family. And there's some folks who come through families like that. And even as adults looking back upon it, all they realize is when I was a little person, the big person hurt me when they should have been helping, when they should have been defending me. And to this day, they've never said they were sorry. And to this day, when I bring the subject up, they won't admit it. Not only that, they won't admit it. The other big people won't admit it. You know, it's like a big family secret. We can't talk about it. And everybody's fine with it but me because I was the one who got hurt. I find it hard to forgive that. I know I'm supposed to. When I pray, I try to fool God. I tell him I do. But deep down, it's hard to do. And not only is it hard to forgive, it's impossible to forget. I can't forget. It's not like I can just put it out of my mind. It's there. It, it's, it's like this big thing inside of me that, that has, has sabotaged my entire life and has shackled me to a broken past, and I cannot get past it because I cannot forget it and the forgiveness and the mercy, that just doesn't work for me. So the question is, how do I get to this spot where Stephen was, where I can forgive when I cannot forget what was 
and what, what had happened to me. Are you with me on this? Okay. That can be a problem. All right. So I want for us to look at this passage of Scripture and sort of glean out some of the dynamics that, that happen here. We're going to back up a little bit um, to um, uh, get a running start into it. First of all, I want to go to chapter 6, the very end of chapter 6. And uh, where shall we start? Oh, the end of chapter 6. And I know it's in there somewhere. Okay, verse 12. Look at verse 12. Okay. Again, remember, the, 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 this collection of, of, of Jews have, uh, have uh, been arguing and debating with, with Stephen. And, and here's what happens in, in verse uh, uh, 12. Well, uh, in, in, we'll go back to verse 11. Well, go back to verse 10. I, I'm, I'm going to try, in the beginning, yeah. I'm going to try to get you out by noon. Okay. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, before the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses. Have you ever been lied to? I suspect it's worse when you're lied about. You know, when someone lies to you, well, fine, you, you may, you, they, they've been deceptive and maybe they've, they've taken you for a ride, but you can get at the truth and then that, that was the truth. And so they lied to you, but you, you can sort of overcome that. But when people lie about you, it's hard to overcome that. When folks go to other folks and they're saying things about you that are not true and you don't get a chance to defend yourself because after all, most people believe the first story they ever hear, and so folks assume that it's true, and before you know it, you've got folks around you with this opinion of you because folks have been lying about you. This is pretty serious stuff. That's all I'm, I'm getting at. And they set up false witness who said, this man never ceased to speak words against this holy place and words against the law. Two things. I'll take them in reverse order. They said, this Stephen speaks against the law. He speaks against the law. Now, you have to understand that for Jews in the first century, the law is what defined who they were. You know? if, you, if you were Jewish in Greece or in Rome, uh, and somebody said, what, what does it mean to be a Jew? You'd say, well, it's this law thing. We keep the law. It's our identity. And so to say Stephen is speaking against the law was saying Stephen is trying to cut the rug out from everything that God's ever done in the Jewish people. He's trying to just wreck the whole thing. And this law is what defines our holiness. Now the other thing, more deeply psychological, is when you have the law, you have a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. And once you've gone through the list, you're done. You know, how do I know I'm okay with God? Got the law, kept the law. Everything's fine. As we say in the business, it is hunky and dory. I mean, we are just good to go with this law thing. So when they, they lie about Stephen, they say, well, Stephen is saying the law is no good. It's like attacking the very core of the security that, that uh, these folks would have with their relationship with God. And so they're saying Stephen has attacked the law. Now, you, you can figure out how they got to that. They took this wonderful doctrine of grace 
that says, no, you're not saved by the law, you're not saved by religion, you're saved by the grace of God appropriated by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's all you do. You just open up your heart, let Jesus in, and you're saved by the grace and the mercy of God. Legalistic living and law-keeping will not save you. And so they take that, they distort and say, oh, he's after Moses. He doesn't love Moses, the lawgiver. All right. So that, that was their first charge against him. Stephen, you're not obeying the law you're not adhering to what moses had to say you got that first first accusation then the other oh the other one was and he's against this place and when you say this place he's talking about the temple now the the temple was a magnificent building and it was sort of a focal point for jewish worship wherever you are as you worship in the synagogues or, or daily prayers whatever it was in your mind was the fact that that, that back in jerusalem at the temple uh, these sacrifices are going on and that's pleasing to god and because of the sacrificial system i am okay with god and so it was the focal point of jewish worship and to say that stephen was attacking the temple and he wanted to tear down the temple was saying well this this uh, this stephen he's trying to destroy the security we have in our religious practices right so these are the two charges they're bringing against Stephen. One is he's against Moses who gave us the law and he's against the temple. All right, keep that in mind, Moses and the law. So uh, we move on from that towards the latter part. Uh, and you look at verse 37, chapter 7, verse 37. Stephen is talking to them. What he's done already is uh, he, <laughs> he's sort of gone through all those who uh, live by faith, you know, that, that, the, the anthem, all right? Uh, the anthem uh, was, was basically what, what he talked about. Um, you know, all the people of faith up, up through Moses and how God had dealt with them. But he gets to verse 37. He's talking about the, um, the life of Moses and so forth. And he says this, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. In other words, he said, and, and guys, in, in his defense, he said, if you want to talk about Moses, let's talk about Moses. Moses promised another prophet like him, but God would raise him up. In other words, and, and the earliest Christians took this to be a prophecy of Jesus, of the Messiah. And so, in, in essence, what... Stephen is saying is, if you want to talk about Moses, let's talk about Moses. To talk about Moses is the fact that God has promised the Messiah. Any of you who are picking up the first step, God sent Jesus, God sent the Messiah. That's, that's the part that we're dealing with here. God sent him. So if we're dealing with, with, with Moses and your religion, first thing we've got to deal with is God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. So keep that in mind. Then skip up down to uh, verse 39. All right. It says, our fathers refused to obey Moses. <laughs> this is not what the Sanhedrin wants to hear. They don't want to hear, you're, you're, all, you're all big on this Moses guy. Our fathers didn't obey him. You know that, don't you? Because here's what happened. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they returned to Egypt. In their hearts, they went back to the slavery mentality. They went back to the idea of God's not present. He's not helping us out. And so they, they, in their minds, were still in Egypt. Their bodies were not, but their minds were still in Egypt. And so they turned to Egypt, verse 40, saying to Aaron, Aaron was the, uh, let's say, Moses' uh, assistant. Uh, that, that's the easiest way to think about it right now. So they came to Aaron. And, oh, by the way, Moses is up on the mountain. Moses has gone up on the mountain to talk with God and while he's up there talking with God the people come to Aaron and here's what they say 
Make for us gods who will go before us. <laughs> As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so they made a calf in those days. This is the golden calf that you've heard about. Uh, Aaron got, got gold from the people and he made this, this little image of a calf and overlaid it with gold and they started worshiping this, this golden calf. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands, but God turned away. In other words, what, what, uh, what Stephen is saying is, you're so big on Moses, but look at the, at the track record. Look at the history of it. You folks haven't even adhered to Moses. You haven't even paid attention to Moses. See that? So the first thing is, on, on charge number one, you guys are the guilty ones. You're the ones who rejected the, 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 the Messiah promised by Moses, and you're the ones who rejected the law given by Moses and made a golden calf. Right. Uh, verse uh, 47. Oh, so the next charge is he's against the temple. He wants, he wants to um, uh, tear down the temple. And so uh, uh, Stephen says, all right, if you want to talk about the temple thing, let's talk about the temple. In the wilderness, uh, uh, you had the tabernacle that followed the people around, uh, but then Solomon built the first uh, building, the actual structure. Verse 47, it was Solomon who built a house for them. Oh, great, this is good stuff. You know, we got the temple in. It's Solomon who built the house. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses. It's not just that you've overplayed the temple thing. God doesn't live there. He gave you the temple sort of as a, as a teaching aid to focus your attention on his presence. But, but from the very beginning, even Solomon knew this. God said it from the beginning through the prophets. Look, I don't live in a house made with hands. And so if you want to get all hot and bothered about a building, about the temple, he says, God's not with you on that one. He's not with you on that one. The Most High does not dwell in temples made by hands, as the prophet says. Now, you can imagine at this point that the Sanhedrin, the council, is not happy. They're, they're not pleased. They're pretty much ready to um, uh, take him out and stone him. Uh, and so I think Stephen sort of sensed that, and uh, he knew that he had an opportunity to bring unity to the party, but instead, he says this, you stiff-necked people, them's fighting words, folks. The word stiff-necked in the Hebrew, um, that, that term um, is used the vast majority of times, all, all but about two times, is used in Exodus chapter 32 and chapter 33. Cha Exodus chapters 32 and 33 is where we find the account of the making of the golden calf and people worshiping the calf, the golden idol, rather than worshiping the true and living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, he's, he's essentially saying, you guys are right back there. You guys are in the same rebellious mode. You're in the same reject God mode. That's where you are. Now, let me ask you, has Stephen said anything that's not true? It's all true. It's entirely true. And so he says, you resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and that's what you're doing. Which of the prophets didn't you kill? Oh, oh and then, oh, and then, and, and killed those who announced, this is in verse uh, 50, uh, uh, 52, 
Okay, Debbie says two. Okay. <laughs> and, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. God sent him, you killed him. By the way, just to complete it, later on, uh, Stephen says, and I, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, but God raised him. Okay? So again, God sent him, you killed him, God raised him, repent. The, the, there's the gospel. So that he's following that along the say. He says, so you who received the law and you, and you claim it was given by angels, you don't even keep the law yourselves. Uh, they're a little upset. They, they begin to, to haul him out. And uh, uh, he says, you know, I'm, I see the Son of Man. I see the glory of God. And then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he says, and Lord, forgive them. So before he gets to that forgiving point, what has Stephen done? He has presented Christ. He's seen the glory of Christ. He's magnified the work of God in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, he says, God, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. Pretty cool, huh? Now, the cynic in me, and there is one, says, yeah, that's good for Stephen. He only had to forgive like for another 10, 15 minutes. Now, I can hold out for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, especially if I get conked on the head and I'm unconscious. Or you, you, but what's hard is when the forgiveness has to last for years and for decades and for the rest of your life, and it just goes on and on. And the real hard part is how do you forgive when you can't forget it, when it just keeps coming back and that's what i want for us to see and use stephen as our example here for a moment first thing stephen did was he confronted the the sin with the truth you stiff-necked people now i think stiff-necked is a pretty good way to describe the kind of person who goes through life abusing others, injuring others, harming others. I think stiff-necked is a pretty good uh, uh, description of, of a relative who inflicts abuse upon a child and spends the rest of their life saying, no, I, ne I, I never did anything. Not me. Don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. You know, I'm fine. Everything's cool. It's a child making it all up. I think stiff-necked is a pretty good term for that. And Peter, uh, Peter, Stephen confronted the the abusers, if you will, with the reality of the abuse. Now, I know and you know that it's not that easy in our lives. You know, um, a lot of times what will happen is a child is abused and they develop these, these uh, uh, childish mechanisms to, to cope with it. They internalize shame. They, they try to be goody, 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 or they just rebel, you know, whatever it is. Their lives are out of control, being totally uh, uh, just dominated by, by this abuse. And you get up into your 20s and you realize this is no way to live, but I can't stop because you've been doing it for 10, 15 years already. And so now things begin to fall apart, but you hold it barely together. And then you get in your 30s or, or, or your early 40s and you realize it's not just that this isn't working. I can't do this anymore. And you have a nervous breakdown. And by the way, it's okay to get help. You know, a lot of what happens is biochemical. You know, the, the external traumas actually cause biochemical changes in the brain and uh, with, with a, a, a wisdom and appropriate medical treatment. Uh, don't be afraid of taking an aspirin when you get a headache. Okay? But, you know, everything starts to break apart. And, and so you go into therapy, you realize, oh, this is what happened. And you say, I need to confront the abuser. So you go to the abuser who, who may be alive, I don't know, but if they're alive. And you go to them and say, look, here's what happened. You were the big person. I was the little person. You should not have done that. And they look at you. Oh, what are you, nuts? Are you crazy? Don't bother me. You're nuts. 
Hey, look what, look what he's saying. Kid's an idiot. He's always been an idiot. Everybody knows that. We know that. It's not that simple. But don't run from the truth. Sometimes what will happen is you'll internalize that abuse and you'll start to say, well, I must have caused it. This is the way children think. You know, if something's bad happening to me, if, if mom and dad are doing, or, or you know, somebody in my family, they're doing something bad to me, I must be causing this. I must be a bad person. If only I was a better person, they wouldn't be doing this to me. And so you internalize it, and it causes that, that, that guilt and that shame, and, and you try to live off of that, and it just doesn't work, and it tears you apart. You know, one of the first things you've got to do is, at least in your own heart and your mind, say, wait a minute, that's a stiff-necked person over there. And that's not right. God never designed my life to be abused by anybody. And if they do, fine, I understand that they've gone through some things. I understand they were abused as a child. I understand all that, all, all, all the explanations, fine. Um, you know, I've, I've got all that data, but here's the deal. It should have stopped with them. It should never have gotten to me. And there's nothing wrong with standing up for yourself like that. Because that's what God did for you. That's what God did for you when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He took our sins, but he also took our wounds and our stripes and our hurts and our pains. And he died for them so we don't have to die because of them. We don't have to walk around living death because of these things anymore because Jesus Christ has died for us. So the, the, the first step that, that, that we see in Stephen's life is he just got plain honest with 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 the situation you, know, you stiff-necked people you're not going to run my life you know there's something else going on here and the second thing is he got real focused on the glory of god in christ jesus now i know that 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 sounds sort of spiritual it is uh and it sounds you know sort of like um a spiritual exercise it is but here's here's the thing in life you have a choice of what you're going to look at and, and uh, by and large, what you look at in life is what you're going to move toward and how you're going to live. Right? If you focus yourself on the pain and the heartache, you'll be walking towards the pain and the heartache your whole life, and you'll be wondering why it ke- keeps getting worse and worse. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, you focus on the glory of God in Christ Jesus, and you see one who loved you unconditionally. You see someone who, who far from a being abusive, was the one who healed, who far from dominating your life for personal uh, gain, rather gave up his life for you. When you focus yourself on Jesus Christ, that changes the whole definition of what life is about. And it changes the entire direction of life. And with your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, then you start moving towards him and towards the glory of God and the perfection of God and the holiness of God. That's a whole different way to live than being dominated by the abuse of the past and by the injury and the heartache of the past and the sins that people have done to you in the past. Okay? See, it, 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 that, that, that's why the forgiveness is so important. We get chained to the past when we cannot forgive. And the past becomes like this big claw. All I could think, I, I tried to think of illustrations, and uh, other, other than the dog in your dad's backyard. Okay, I buried a dog once, and, and, and the paw was so stiff I couldn't get it down, so I, I found a root, and I, I put the paw under the root. You know, okay. And I just know the next time it rained, that paw came out. Okay. <laughs> but, the, but think more like deliverance, carry, 
Okay, now, now you got the idea. This is, when we don't forgive, this is what happens. That the pastor sort of reaches out from the gra- grave and grabs us and sucks us back down in. So, um, you know, he, he, he had his focus changed, and he, and he put it on Jesus Christ and the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That, that changes things. Now, look, I know that's hard to do. I know it's hard to do. But you're better off moving in that direction than just staying or moving in the other direction towards the pain and the heartache. Now, the third thing he did was he understood that his life was defined by Christ, and that was the goal. He said, you know, Lord, receive my spirit. Uh, understanding that he didn't want to leave this life with the excess baggage of hatred and resentment still still uh, on his shoulders. Okay. You know, when he arrived at heaven, he didn't want to have to you know, carry that stuff around. And he didn't have to because of the blood of Christ. Let me go very quickly to the, four, the, the, the last thing. And the last thing was he forgave them. He said, you know, Father, forgive them. But here's, here's the rub. How can I forgive when I can't forget? How can I forgive when I can't forget? Because every time that memory comes back, it's like it happens all over again, right? You know, you're, you're going through life, you're, you're having a pretty good day, you know, things are moving pretty well, and you don't know why, but suddenly it ambushes you. It might be something that somebody said. It might be something in the air, the smell in the air. You know, I went into a restaurant, it, it, the, the building, it, it, it was an old house, had a restaurant there, and uh, they, they were cooking apples in this old house. I want you to know, I walked in there. Instantly, I was back in my grandmother's house. She always cooked apples. Yeah. I didn't choose that. I didn't say, well, let me see. Apples, apples, apples. Where did I have apples? No, no, no it wasn't there. And grandma's house? Yeah, I think. No, it was instantaneous. That's the way the brain works. You can't control it. And it might be something someone says, or it might be an attitude, it might be a look, it might be just a, 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 an intonation. You might even know what triggers it, but before you know it, you're, you're sucked back into that. And it's like it's happening all over again. And the pain is there all over again. It's sort of like uh, the, the, the Sanhedrin stoned Stephen to death. And then the next week, they dug him up, propped him up in a lawn chair, and stoned him again. You know, they just got to do it over and over again. That's the way it is when you, when you can't forget these things, and it keeps coming back. And you say, I thought I forgave, but it comes back. I thought I forgave, and it came back. Why can't I forgive and forget? All right. I want to I see if I can give you a little bit of insight into that um, and where that comes from, where the idea of forgive and forget comes from. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32, Paul writes, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we're for, supposed to forgive one another as God forgives us. That's, that's the plan. That's the goal. But here's the rub. That's a technical term. In Jeremiah chapter 31... I'm going to go to verse 34. This is a passage where Jeremiah is describing the new covenant. New covenant is just a, a way of saying New Testament. Uh, this, this is the new covenant that God is establishing. It's not like the old covenant where it was all external. It's going to be a new covenant where it's all on the inside. And so in uh, verse 34, as he's describing it, God says this. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. 
For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And here's the way it works. God forgives and forgets, therefore we should forgive and forget. That's the logic of it. Now here's a wonderful truth. When you come to Jesus Christ, that sin that belongs to you, God takes it off of you and puts it on the shoulders of Christ, and he dies in your place. That sin is put to death in Jesus Christ. It's sort of like God says, you know, that sin that has weighed you down and kept you from me, that sin I'm going to take, and you stand over here on the east, and I'm going to launch this sin out at the speed of light going west. All right? And that's how far your sin is away from you, as far as the east is from the west. In fact, when you sin and then come to Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The sin is totally and completely taken away. And God says, I will remember it no more. That's a wonderful truth. Take it to the bank. Can God forget anything? No, th think about it. Can God forget something? The, the, the reason I was thinking about that is God says, I'll remember it no more, and then he writes it down. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Um, you know, all this bad stuff that went on in the Old Testament, and God sent Jesus, and Jesus' blood covers the sins, past, present, and future. And so the saints of the Old Testament ultimately covered by the blood of Jesus. But God wrote it down. David prayed for forgiveness. Psalm 51. God grants forgiveness. And then he inspired somebody to write it down so we'd still be talking about it. You know, the apostle Paul persecuted the church, had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus forgave him. His sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. And then God inspires Luke to write it down. You see, when God says, I'll remember it no more, he's not saying, I'm going to have some kind of holy dementia. Now, it's not like I'm going to go talk to God and God says, Oh, Wayne, I know that Jesus died for you, but I can't remember why. You know, I, have, I haven't, haven't any idea what, what went on in your life. Absolutely not. No, God doesn't forget that. He, what he says is, if you read the scriptures, he says, I will remember it. Another word for that, I will recall it no more. The scripture says is, God forgives our sins and he'll never bring it up again. It's not like you're going to get up before the judgment throne and, and God says, well, there you are. I know you're a Christian, you believed in Jesus, but you know that thing you did when you were, <laughs> pick an age, 15 years old, I'm still a little bit upset about that. He's not going to bring it up again. He's not going to recall it. It will not be factored into the relationship that you have to somehow work it off. The sin is forgiven, and God doesn't keep bringing it up and shackling us with it. So when you hear someone say, forgive and forget, just look at him and say, obviously you haven't read your Bible. Because what the Bible says, forgive and remember no more. You can't help what memories you know, just sort of come at you and ambush you. You can control what you choose to do with them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. And when you can't forget, of course you can't forget. 
And it, it hurts every time that the memories come back, but here's the deal. Every time the memories come back, say, Lord Jesus, I am so thankful I am not chained to the sin of another person. I am not chained to the wrongdoing of another person. My life is not defined what, by what they said or by what they did or what they said about me. My life is defined by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And that's it. So when you can't forget, you find the memories coming back, just say, oh, this, this is my chance, this is my opportunity to go and praise the Father for the forgiveness I have and for the way that His holiness and His justice and His righteousness is being worked out perfectly according to His will. And yeah, I, I remember it. I'll probably never forget it. But I don't have to be chained to it because I've been set free in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why we don't do it. We don't do it because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we tell God, God, I'll let you handle their sin, we're afraid God won't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's silly, but that's, we're honestly, we're afraid that if we say, this person hurt me, this person sinned against me, and the reason I can't forgive them and I don't want to forgive them is because, God, if I forgive them, I'm afraid you might too. And I want to see them suffer. <laughs> we're afraid. Part of the process of growing in Christ is getting to that point where, you know, we sort of trust God to work it all out according to his will, for his good pleasure, for his glory in our lives. And the sweet thing is you can trust God to do that. And you can trust him to work in your life. So when you can't forgive because you can't forget, okay. But you can forgive when you choose not to live there anymore, but to walk in the footsteps of Christ, right? I'm going to ask you to do something, right? This week, when the, when the memory comes back, when the ambush happens, right? just pause and say, you know, God, I thank you that you've already got this under control. It's covered by the blood of Jesus, and I'm just going to worship and praise you for the forgiveness I have uh, by, by, by your grace. And... Father, I, f I forgive that person. They're not going to control my life. I want to I love them the way you love them. Now, it's going to take you about four times to get there, all right? I mean, seriously, because the, the first time what's going to happen is the, the ambush is going to come, and you're going to go right back to where you always, uh, always go, and then about an hour after you do all that, you're going to say, wait a minute, I, I said I would try not to do that, right? And you'll be discouraged, but don't be. Because the next time it happens, and you start going there, and you say, man, I'm going back there, and I promised I wouldn't, but you'll go there anyway. But the third time that happens, it'll ambush you, and you'll start to go there, and you say, wait a minute, I said I wasn't going there, and you'll stop. And the fourth time it happens, when you're ambushed, you say, I'm not going there. I'm just going to glorify the Father instead. So it'll take about four times, but at least once this week, short-circuit the pain by giving God the glory. Can you do that? Can you do that? You know, and get yourself primed and ready for it. Every day, just, just pray, God, keep me alert for this because I, I want to be there when it happens. Uh, that kind of thing, all right? I found this passage to be really interesting. Um, we haven't really gone into the totality of what Acts chapter 7 is about. It's actually about um, the, um, um, the, the, the reason the church and the synagogue didn't get along. It, it goes back to that, and it's setting us up for what Paul's ministry is like. But in the middle of all that, we have this wonderful picture of Stephen who could forgive. In ways that we couldn't, 
Well, in ways that we can, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, if this was your first time with us, really thank you for being here. Uh, we're all about Jesus. We're all about lifting his, him up. I hope you got a sense of that. I uh, hope to see you next week when, again, we turn to the book of Acts. Uh, Philip is going to be uh, our, our focus of attention, so uh, um, you, you want to be here for that, all right? Let's bow for prayer together. And Father, thank you again for grace, abundant and free, grace that is more than sufficient, more than enough to meet our every need. And so, Father, I pray that we would be reliant upon the Holy Spirit, reliant upon the guidance, the wisdom, the protection. Father, never thinking that we have to do this by ourselves, but always trusting in who you are and how your grace comes to us. Father, I thank and praise you for the folks here today. Pray that something that's been said will just be planted in the heart by your Spirit for your glory, Father. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.